Dear fellow redeemed, in our church body, there's there's often a little phrase, and it's like three words long. Often a little phrase that um, that pastors or congregations might use to describe the combination of what we believe and what we do, and we call it doctrine and practice. Doctrine and practice, doctrine being the, the teaching of God's word, what it is we believe, and practice, how we, how we put our beliefs into practice. Doctrine and practice. And so you think about that, that hopefully influences the choices that we make, because every choice that a congregation makes and every choice that a Christian makes is influenced by their beliefs. It is uniquely Christian in that regard that the choices you make that the choices you make in your own life they might be very similar choices as a neighbor or somebody who is outside of the christian faith but the fact that you are making those choices as informed by the word of god and as directed by the heart of faith which god created in you as you make those choices doctrine and practice are put into place you make choices that are uniquely Christian because of what you believe. And that's, that's one of those concepts that we talk about a lot and we talk around a lot, and it's not one that we spend a whole lot of time discussing. You take, for example, um, one of the most evident forms of, of doctrine and practice, or rather practicing our doctrine, practicing our beliefs, is in our practice of Holy Communion that we commune those who are in fellowship with us, who have, who have publicly stated that they believe the same thing as the Wisconsin Synod, and they have been instructed in this truth. We commune those who are competent to examine themselves, so that even though you know, our little boy who isn't even two years old, he is a believer and united with us in faith, at the same time, I don't have any way of discerning whether he can examine himself. Our doctrine and practice of Holy Communion means that we look at the passages about Holy Communion and we put those beliefs into practice in what we do. And when we talk about building the Christian home, and especially today we talk about the financing of the Christian home, that concept of doctrine and practice, of practicing our beliefs, perhaps gets a little bit more closer to home than, than we would prefer. Because you can talk about the other elements of the Christian home and the Christian life together. You can talk about the relationship between man and woman as God created on the sixth day of creation. And you can talk about the basic building blocks of the Christian home and of the Christian church, really. Of people who encourage one another with the truth of God's word. Of people who confess to one another and forgive one another. And you can talk about those and it's still, it's still out here. And we can all say at the same time, yes, I confess my faith in the Apostles' Creed. I confess my sin in the confession of sins at the beginning of the worship service. But that's something that we all do. But when we get to the, the doctrine and practice, the practicing our belief of how do we manage the gifts God has given to us, there's this whole other like compartment of the brain that opens up this whole other segment of our mind that has been so informed by the world around us that it, 
almost entwines its own mindset into our Christian mindset, where the world around us likes to keep score. And I used to think this was kind of a joke, you know, about keeping up with the Joneses and the, the, the competition or the, the apparent competition among neighbors. I'm like, well, who does that? Until we moved to a place that had neighbors a lot closer and it was our own house <laughs> and it wasn't a parsonage where I couldn't say, you know, it's not my problem. Here's the properties guy. You should call him. Now it's, oh, it's Pastor Hagen and this is our address. And yeah, it was maybe a blind spot for me, but it opened my eyes a little bit more clearly to, to how the world tries to get its own temptation and how Satan tries to use the blessings that God has given to us and how the world with its temptation and Satan with his, with his efforts try to get in between, worm its way into the Christian heart and to pry apart that union of doctrine and practice. Where temptation and jealousy or coveting of wanting to make sure that I present a good image to my neighbor or to fill in the blank, make sure that I want to present a good image in, in how I conduct myself, in how we maintain our house, um, in the vehicle that I drive, the, the, the life choices that I make about the clothing that I wear, um, the size of the TV, fill in the blank. The world would love nothing, nothing more than to turn God's blessings into a tearing apart of doctrine and practice. And Satan knows this as well. I mean, he's been watching people since the very beginning of time. And he's been, he's been watching people. He knows them quite well. And he knows that among all the levers that he could use, there are few levers stronger than the lever of worry, fear, uncertainty, doubt, especially as, ex as it is expressed when talking about finances. Because that's everything the world sells you on. That's what the, the, kindly, the kindly gentleman at State Farm Insurance, as he leans over his desk with the salt and pepper hair, and he takes off his glasses and he says, Pastor Hagen. And then he talks about the benefits of insurance. And he talks about the fear that you would experience if you lost this, and the uncertainty of life that you need this policy as well, and the doubt, the doubt, will you be enough to, <laughs> to forestall those tragedies from happening to your family? The world plays on fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And the devil wants to use the blessings that God has given to us as a lever to pry us away from our Lord. And at the very least, as a lever to get in there and wiggle apart the connection of, of doctrine and practice. Where we understand and we come here and we rejoice in the doctrine, the belief, what it is that God has told us in his word. We rejoice in these facts. But there's a temptation to segment off other parts of our lives. And it's there. And it really gets to the heart and the core of us as humans because we do live in a world of fear, uncertainty, and doubt. 
We do live in a world where we worry for those whom God has given to us. We do live in a world where God has provided us specific blessings and certain blessings to carry out our responsibilities to those he has entrusted to our care. That the way it's supposed to look is that in one hand, God pours the blessing, and in the other hand, God has given the responsibility, and the way it's supposed to look is we put those together in prayer. But right there is the place where the temptation of my sinful flesh, the wording and the advertising from the world around us, and Satan himself would try to get in and wedge apart that connection. That connection of putting into practice the things that we believe. And so you think about this, and you're like, okay, the things that I believe, I believe that in holy baptism, Jesus uh, washes away sin, delivers from death and, and the devil, and gives eternal life to all who believe this, as the words and promises of God's God declare. I believe that, that he has promised me an eternal life in heaven. I believe that he has promised to provide for me each and every day of my life, even as he provides for the birds of the air and, the, and he clothes the grass of the field, and you're worth far more than sparrows because the Son of God didn't become a sparrow to save sparrows from sin. The Son of God became a human to save humans from sin. We think about what it is that we believe, that among all the blessings of life, the blessing of being able to, to join together in worship in a public way or even worship through the internet, to be united in faith with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and to say that the work that God accomplishes here is of a value that extends into eternity. That if you want to be known for something, which is really what the world wants, to leave a legacy of some sort, there's no greater legacy than than teaching a child about the Savior Jesus. And we think about all the different ways that, that Satan would try to get in there and get between us and pry apart that union of doctrine and practice to use one of the, the longest levers available <laughs> to even try to get in between a relationship between Christ and the Christian or get into the relationships within a Christian home or a Christian congregation. And you think about this, and we haven't even, we haven't even um, talked about, haven't talked about any numbers. Because it's not about numbers. It's about this attitude. And so quickly and so easily, it's easy to say, well, you know, 1 Timothy chapter 6, I've read it before, I've heard it before, and some of, these, some of these verses in 1 Timothy 6 are almost proverbial statements in our culture, as though the love, love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. Like, almost everybody knows that. They're almost proverbial statements. But it's about the attitude. And is it possible is it possible that even when we look at this reading and even when we consider our own hearts that it's much more comfortable and comforting to say, well, that's not my concern. Sure, I, I'm obviously not one of those people who has the love of money um, residing in, in the heart. 
That's the problem for millionaires and billionaires. That's the problem for people who vacation on the Aegean Sea on their you know, gigantic multi-million dollar yachts for months or weeks at a time. But that's not me. Is it possible that when we hear these words that Paul has to say, that it's so much easier to point and say, well, the problem is out there, that I'm not one who is who's chasing after the wind, that I'm not the one who is um, wanting to get rich and falling into a temptation and a trap in it and many foolish and harmful desires because, you know, I'm just living the average middle-class life. Is it possible that the temptation of the devil has gotten so wormed into that connection of doctrine and practice, that unity of purpose among Christians, is it possible that we don't even see it. That we don't even see that, you know, the messaging that our children receive um, every eight and a half minutes during their TV program isn't a messaging that, that points them to Jesus or points out the blessings that they have received, but rather messaging that tells them what they need and what they ought to have and what they're missing out on. Is it possible that when we think of, you know, the vehicle that might be 5, 10, 20 years old or even, <laughs> even old enough to go to the bar by itself, is it possible when we think of that vehicle that, yes, we have it and we use it, but um, it's not quite the same as it used to be. And just maybe one day, maybe one day um, I'll have put in enough time and enough suffering with this and then I will be worth it. Is it possible that this discussion is so close to home that it becomes uncomfortable to talk about even within the Christian home and we arrive at other solutions? Other solutions that don't address the issue, but rather help us evade the issue. Solutions such as, well, I'm the one with the bigger paycheck, so this is the one, I'm the one that should be making the decisions. Or, I'm the one who has the certification and has, has studied these things, so I'm the one who should be making the decisions here. Or, well, we both make a, a decent income, and so we'll, we'll pool our money for household expenses, but then you've got your spending account and my spending account as though the household is organized like some corporation. Is it possible? that the world around us would take any and every opportunity to start dividing that union of doctrine and practice, to start dividing the union of Christians in the Christian home and in the Christian church? Is it possible that as much as we would hate to admit it, that sometimes even our sense of personal identity or worth is based less on what our Lord thinks of us and more on what our paycheck thinks of us. I had that discussion one time. We had moved from um, Ottawa, Ontario to you know, southern Minnesota and the, the pay difference in, in Ottawa was substantial enough because they were paying us in Canadian dollars. And we moved, yeah, and we moved to, uh, to Minnesota. And it was basically, 
if you include the, the currency exchange rate, it was basically like a 45% pay cut. And I sat down and I'm like, well, here's our check for this month. And Desiree's like, great, you know, next one's coming in two weeks, right? No. <laughs> That's not how this works. This is our check for the month. And to me, it was that moment, and it obviously has extended for some time after that, to try to parse out where does my heart really lie? Where does my heart really lie? That your worth, dear friend, isn't the number on the front of a check. It's not the number in your 401k, 503b, or Roth IRA. That your value and the value you bring isn't the hourly rate or the benefits package if you were to jump ship to another corporation. That your worth isn't found in the wisdom and insight that you have managed your blessings with. And mismanagement at any point along the way doesn't mean that you have somehow been a failure and are worth less to God. That's what the world would have you believe. Because those are the lies that get between our doctrine and practice, that worm their way into our homes, that start to pry families apart with one of the longest levers that God has blessed his people with. One of the longest levers, meaning something that can move, move things and has a lot of ability to do so and pushed in the right direction. The value that God can give through these blessings and through Christians working together to manage these blessings to God's glory, the blessings far surpass the piddly little doubts, fears, uncertainties, and worries, the lies that the world would have us believe. And so I guess the question before us, it probably isn't the question of, does this describe you? Because I know it does. And it's not a question of, of value in, in the sense of, of numbers and dollars and cents. Because let's face it, I mean, money is the ultimate renewable resource <laughs> that our federal government considered just um, minting a $1 trillion coin to, to make sure that we didn't surpass the debt ceiling. And, and they said, you know, this will have no impact on inflation, even though we took this blank, platinum blank, and then we stamped it with $1 trillion and creating money out of thin air. But even for you, the ultimate non-renewable resource is your time. And we have been given an incredible amount of time together to impact the eternity of another. We've been given an incredible time together to think about the blessings that our Lord has given to us. Think, think about the responsibilities and the people that our Lord has placed in our lives. And to say, how? How can we put these together? Only in prayer, right? And by having that, that difficult conversation, maybe it includes saying to that person in your life, 
or if you're a single-person household, calling up a parent or a sibling or another trusted Christian friend and say, you know what? I've really seen a lot more in my heart than I wanted to know. Can you remind me again of what my Lord has done for me? Because that's the bottom line. Because there at your baptism, the Jesus who raised himself from the dead raised you from death. Here at the Lord's table, you're gathered with people that you will also sit with at the the great wedding banquet of the Lamb in all eternity. Here at the Lord's table, you have been gathered with people who are there right now. Here at the Lord's table, you receive in a way that you can taste and touch. You receive your forgiveness again in that moment where heaven and earth meet. That encouragement to your heart to say, dear Christian friend, you have nothing to be afraid of, nothing to worry about, and even in this world of uncertainty and doubt, you have a Lord who cares for you, and he has proven it by giving you his Son. That even in this world, you have a Lord who has continued to bless you far more than you ever thought possible. In other words, dear friend, your sin is forgiven. And so what does it look like? to receive in one hand the blessings and consider in the other hand the responsibilities and put them together in prayer. I like to describe it, um, at least when working through the book that we're following for the sermon series, um, when I meet with a, a young couple who wants to get married. This is the, these are the topics that we talk about. And I like to describe it as a triangle that at the, the top of the triangle, and you can you know, turn that however you wish, but at the top of the triangle, you've got um, financial knowledge. When we're talking about finances um, is the specific topic. You've got the knowledge of, well, I have to pay my taxes. I have to you know, run a family budget so that hopefully I'm not running myself further and further into debt. So some basic knowledge. The second aspect of that is the communication within the home. That as people who have been joined together in a marriage, perhaps, or with other children in the family, or even in in a Christian congregation, that there's an element of communication to manage this together. Not as, well, I should and you should fill in the blank. So we've got knowledge, communication, and the third part of that triangle is the practical application. How do we put our faith into practice? that it's, it's easy to fall into a rut, and it's easy to get distracted by the advertising to think that if I just have you know, that, that Starbucks, then I'll be living the Starbucks life, and by the way, I'm worth it. When the bottom line is that your Lord says that he gave his life for you, and that's a value that Starbucks or Panera can't even touch. The practical application of how do we put our faith into practice, that's the the daily practice or the monthly or weekly practice of of putting the knowledge and the communication together. And it's a triangle because as you think about this, um, if one is a little bit out out of sync, then you see what you need to work on. That maybe the knowledge is there and you're really good at the management part, but the talking hasn't been there. And instead of a perfect equilateral triangle, you've got, help me out here, isosceles? <laughs> Thank you. You've got this, this wonky isosceles triangle 
or maybe the, um, the knowledge is there and the communication is there, but the practice isn't, and you've got some other you know, isosceles or scaling triangle. It's just totally out of, totally out of proportion. I didn't know I'd have to know math facts to preach. <laughs> but you get the picture that our Lord has placed a value on your life and your heart, on your eternity, that goes beyond anything and any value that is attached to your life in this world. That your worth as a person isn't attached to what you have coming in or what you have going out or even the, the stockpile that you have to draw from and the warehouse as you care for your responsibilities in this world. That your standing as a person isn't attached to the management or the lack thereof. It's attached to the empty tomb of Jesus. And so, in the next few minutes before we get to the Lord's Supper, take a minute to think about those facts. To maybe confess within your own heart and to recognize where have I heard the echo of my own life and where do I most need to hear, taste, smell the reassurance of my Lord for that particular part of my life. Where do I most need the encouragement of my fellow Christians to say, you know what? You have a Lord who knows and you have a Lord who cares. You have a Lord who has set you free from, from all the division that the world would have. From all the tearing apart of doctrine and practice. Because he has bought you and made you his own. And above all, his promises of life that started there, life that continues here, life that will go on forever in heaven, that his promises talk about a value and an eternity that is worth far more than dollars and cents, far more than 60 or 70 years if we have the strength, that the value on your life is the blood of Jesus. You've been cleansed and raised. So let's live in that life together. Amen.